You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Steamheart. Part 2. On the Road. Chapter 13. Homeward Bound. Miguel, tomorrow. The streets of Memphis are too wide to venture down with a ten-foot-tall purple tiger. Even under cover of darkness, with the tarpaulin I have found to drape over her, the candlelit street lamps will reveal a terrifying shape to the people still going about their evenings. In one of our attempts to move in close, I hear snatches of conversation coming from an open window about a great black lion that was sighted months ago in Ohio. It is a single detail I catch among many others, but it is the one I fixate upon. The people are on edge, scared and curious. They want to know what and where this devil cat is, and whether there are more of them. Rao must not be found. Pulling back out, we circle a city, remaining in the shadows as I steer her towards the shortest narrow route to my father's home. She is experiencing all kinds of new smells and sounds and sights, so I take things slowly. In an alleyway close to the house, I get her to lie down and curl up under the tarp. I tell her with my hands, she must be very still and quiet, and I shall return. My brain races over where she can sleep tonight that would be safe. Perhaps it would be better to take her out to the forest and find her a place there, We will have to live apart for some time, but I will stay with her for much of the day. Crossing round to the front of the house, I notice the door has been painted yellow recently. I knock upon it, my heart pounding. Has he moved away to a new place? Is he even still alive? What face will answer this door? It opens, and Francisco stands illuminated by the room behind him. Father... I have returned. He does not answer. His face is a mask of surprise and uncertainty. May I come in? I ask, smelling cooked food back there. Still he does not answer. I hear movement and curious. I duck under his arm and into the room. The movement is so nimble and swift I barely even register that I am performing it. My muscles have grown strong and reflexive over the past months within my slender frame. Before me sit three people gathered around a new dining table, a lady with graying hair and two young, strong, tall men lower their cutlery and look at me. What is it you seek, beggar child? Francisco finally says. I turn and look at him in amazement. I said I am home, father. Oh, he's lost his father. Poor thing. He is not here, boy. You are Francisco Delgado. Age 44, born in Puebla, Mexico, husband of Mercedes Delgado, father of Conchita, Carlos, Jaime, Galvez, and me, Miguel, your youngest son. There is silence as I stare at him, my chest rising and falling. The lady with the grey hair looks at me inquisitively. Uh, He has a birthmark on his lower back, about this big, I say directly to her now. 
only to be grabbed by Francisco and pulled into my bedroom. He closes the door. There are two strange beds in here. What do you want of me? What is the date today? I ask. Clearly this blindsides him, but I need to know a few things before I can react. June the 15th, 1883. He replies, shrugging. This means I have been gone only three months, and yet the house and my father have changed. I was told you went looking for treasure. Did you bring us back something precious? Maybe he has not changed that much. I did. I say, rifling through my pack and bringing out the golden egg, unwrapping the shirt from around it. Francisco takes this bright, shiny object and examines the thing closely. Very well. I have a new family now and a new life. There's not much room. But you may stay a while with Luisa, Marco, Dominic, and myself. He leans against the wall and looks me up and down. You have grown a little stronger. You can work in the days and sleep on the couch at night. So this is their room now, I ask, looking around at the new beds. The young men at the table. Yes, and they work hard and bring in plenty. You must do the same as them. He frowns, and an expression of distaste crosses his face. I am filled with disgust for you. I hope you know this. Running away without telling me where. Leaving me alone in the city to fend for myself. Luckily for you, Louisa was very sympathetic to a man like me. When I told her my wife had just passed on. But she died years ago. In Puebla when the creatures came. You ran with me and... You left her. You left all of them behind. Now, finally, after years of replaying this moment, colored so many times over by his retelling of the story, I recall with a sudden sharpness, my mother was there at our window, and I can see her expression. It is so fearful that it was too frightening to revisit. But now my eyes are open, and I can recognize what else was in her face. It was betrayal. If Louisa asks you, your mother died in the winter of 1882. And now I'll have to think of a good reason why I did not mention you, or your brothers and sister, because of how clumsily you have backed me into a corner like this. Coming into my home, your mouth flapping away, Aside from the mess you left me with, you've ruined our evening. I am sorry, father, I say, my head hung low. I am uncertain whether I can forgive you. But I think I might be able to be merciful if you promise to be a good boy. He puts the egg behind his back, between him and the wall, and fixes me with a piercing stare. You must never speak of our life before this night again or you are out on the street. Do you understand? Yes. He gestures to the bedroom doorway, and I obediently walk through it and approach the table. The other three glance from me to Francisco. I am sorry I interrupted your supper, I say, and walk to the front door. Miguel. The lady calls. I stop and turn. Did he ask you to go? No. I shake my head sadly. He told me to stay. 
As I leave, they are looking at him. The air outside is warm, but smells the wrong kind of familiar. I cross around to the alleyway and journey down it to find the place Harau was lying. She is not there. A cold fear grips me, greater than any I have ever experienced. Did I dream her all along? Am I stuck here with this strange family as the only place I can call home? Am I alone forever? I search about madly, only to find something reassuring. I can smell her. I can see scattered fur from where she was, and I can trace that scent upwards. I spring between the walls of the alley and up onto the rooftop to find her curled under the tarp there. I am flooded with relief and hold her tightly, nuzzling against her shoulder as she signs to me that she was avoiding people passing through the alley. She asks if I met with my father. I tell her he is gone. She inquires as to who lives in the house now. I sign another tribe. I then convey firmly that I want to be with her and that we should leave this place. She does the thing that I have interpreted as smiling for her people, a kind of flexing of the body and a closing of the eyes. Before we leave, I sneak down to the big clock in the square and wind my found pocket watch. It is 9.47 now, and my life can begin again. We ride north to the forests. Harao seems to be out of breath. I tap her shoulder and ask if we should walk. She agrees, and we enter the woods side by side. It is dark, and her footing is uncertain. We creep quietly until we spot a deer. Harao signs hunger to me, suggesting we catch it. I nod and she moves towards the animal, lowering her stance, tail twitching and her shoulders waggling, limbering up for a spring. When it comes, it is violent and ungainly. <laughs> the tiger lunges forward as the deer leaps away, evading her paws. Her short spear is hurled and misses the mark. I rush over and ask her whether she is alright. Rao shakes her head and crouches, rests on her side, then slumps down. Her eyes are rolling and her tongue protrudes, dry, as she gasps for air. If I felt fear when I imagined she was a dream, it is nothing compared with my terror now. I free the heavy water skin from the harness at her hip. It had been refilled earlier when we drank from the river. Is she poisoned? Rao signs weakly at me that she needs to drink. I can hear a stream nearby. I say I will be right back. Her life may depend upon the actions I am about to take. I must fight against the panic coursing through me. She may not live to see another tomorrow. Rao. Tomorrow. I lie in darkness. It smells familiar. Miguel is there. I can faintly recall crawling on my four paws to get to this cave he found. 
I have vomited everything I've eaten. He signs to me that he is going to get medicine. I awake. He is gone. I sleep. I wake again. He is still gone. I hover in that place between consciousness and oblivion. A tall, gaunt, black cat stands over me. At first, I am afraid to look into his iridescent blue eyes. Father of passing, is it my time? I want to stay. I have to look after my son. My eyelids flutter open. At least I dream they do. The sky swims in my vision. His darkness is still very close. I recall the pantheon of our gods very clearly. Now that I am closest to them, somehow they exist in this new world also. I am sorry. They turned away from you long ago. I have had to live without you. All is quiet. The strange birds sing in the trees. The insects chirp and the foreign wind blows through my cave. I am lying on my back, staring up at the sky, taking shallow breaths, my tongue lolling out to one side. No saliva left. And then I feel him. A padding paw fall upon the leaves and the earth underneath. A splay of dappled light across the clearing before me, the scope of which is inverted and blurred. I hear his tread. Not upon his hind legs like I would walk, but upon four at the apex of the hunt, or as we once were. This is the image of our beginnings, the sun haloing his great flaming mane as he draws near and looks down upon this fallen beast that I am. He is the fire lion. Oh. Peace, dear one. He breathes his voice rich and resounding, echoing around the clearing in my cave. How are you here? I am so far from home. I never left you. And you are not so far from home as you think. Am I to live? All your life you have fought. If this day is your last, then you may count each one before it as a victory. My heart slows. He kisses my forehead and melts away as a new shape emerges. 
Miguel has returned. Around me, the brightness from the fire lion remains. Miguel bids me sit up and signs that he has spoken to a healer, then makes the whiskers sign. Cat healer? Then holds his paw down close to the ground. Small cat healer. It stands to reason his kind would have these for themselves and for other species. Frau. He passes me a bitter powder which I must mix with a bowl of hot, cooked meat and grain he has brought back with him. Eat. Drink. I take the pouch of powder from him and swallow, washing it back with water from a container he hands me, and choking down some of the meat. It tastes foul, but I hold it back. My vision swims. He smells less nervous than before. You take care of me. He signs to me that he is happy to be helping. I take care of you. A shadow stands at the corner of my eye. I do not look directly at the father of passing again that day, but he is there. It is tomorrow. My sickness is abating. I recall the circumstances in which Miguel spent his first days in my world. Sick. Unconscious. Moribund, and yet, with nurturing, he healed and thrived. I wondered if such things could happen with me here, now. In his, what would I be like after tomorrow? You have been listening to episode 13 of Steamheart, Homeward Bound, written and directed by Alexander Shaw. Hrau, performed by Maureen Foley. Miguel and the Fire Lion, performed by Alex Shaw. Francisco, performed by Matt Wardle. Luisa, performed by Debbie Morse. Where the West Begins, composed by Ferenc Hegedus of Shockwave Sound. The Music of the Fire Lion, specially composed and performed for Steamheart by Gil Haim Steinberg. Silent Winter by Running Wolf. Phantasm, Long Note 3, and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you to Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Michael Haskell, Matthew A. Siebert, Benjamin Biddle, Joseph Gluck, Sean Doran, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicol, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chisholm. 
Miguel will never see Francisco Delgado again. You may make up whatever end for him you wish. He is a tree, falling in the woods. <laughs> <laughs>